In the name of Jesus, Amen. Merry Christmas to all of you here today. You and many others have left everything behind this morning uh, to come to church once again. Uh, all because the Word was made flesh and dwelt among us. Um, however, we also know that many are not here. And I, I want to clarify this and listen carefully. I'm not saying that anyone who isn't in church this morning is an unbeliever or just unfaithful or something like that. That's not what I'm saying. Uh, we have many faithful members who aren't here today for whatever reason who came to every single uh, Advent service and the midweek services. And we're here uh, Sunday morning and then in the evening, uh, but are, are not here today for whatever reason, travel, sickness, um, work, or things like that. Uh, I'm not telling you to judge them or look down on them, and that's not who I'm talking about. Uh, I am talking about those who simply don't come to church at all, who just don't go, uh, either last night or this morning or any Sunday. And there are many, many who cannot see Christmas to be anything else but just lights and trees and presents and music and family, things like that. For many people, that's all it is. For the majority of people, that's all it is. Um, I'm willing to... Uh, hold on, give me a second here. I think... Yeah, things are a little uh, mixed up in my sermon. That's okay, I will improvise then. Um, so it didn't print out correctly. That's my fault. Uh, what, what I'm saying is that I, I'm willing to bet, though, even though the majority of people don't see this day for what it truly is and see it for lights and trees and um, other festivities, when they see it for those things, I still think that even the atheists and unbelievers know uh, the basic details of the Christmas account, that uh, there's Mary and she gives birth to a baby and they have no place to go and they're in the stable and she places him in a manger and that's about it. So I think the majority of people in the world, uh, though they don't know and believe what Christmas truly is, at least know the details of it. And I've heard sermons talk about that point entirely and only uh, something to the effect of, well, what this story is about, all those details about Mary giving birth to the baby and being in the stable, what that really is about for us, it's about um, uh, sharing. It's about being kind to people. It's about remembering the poor and remembering the lowly, things like that. And that's all it has become. Now, I want to say that the details of Christmas are a good thing. They're very good to know, and that's important for us. But we can't focus so much on the details that we lose sight of the big picture of what's actually happening throughout all those details. Uh, Bethlehem, the shepherds, the angels, all of that. It's not just a cute story about a little family that's poor, that's struggling to survive, and uh, they just have to figure it out, and they need kindness and, and mercy. For Christmas, the Gospel of John, which you heard uh, here this morning, the Gospel of John focuses not so much on the details, 
Uh, Matthew, Mark, and Luke do, but John focuses on the big picture of the incarnation of the nativity. Uh, He doesn't focus on where it happened or when or how or who saw him, things like that. Rather, John focuses on lifting the veil and pulling back the covers and showing you the big picture of everything. And the reality is that both things matter. What Matthew, Mark, and Luke said about the details matter, but also the big picture matters and they go together. That's the point. And you, you heard the words of John. He himself writes, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him. And not one thing was made that uh, was not anything made that was made. And in him was life, and the life was light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. And then in verse 14, he says, And the word became flesh and dwelt among us. And that's what Christmas is about. The historical account of God, the maker of all things, being born in the flesh. Which means that God, since that moment, now has a face. And he has hair. And he has arms and hands. And he has a cardiovascular system. And he has lungs He has all of these things. God is made man. And the absolute magnitude and immensity of that statement, that God is made flesh, uh, is beyond comprehension. We don't have words. There's There's not a language in the world that can fully express what is going on there, that can completely express the immensity and enormity that God took on flesh. And as long as we live, we'll devote ourselves to this mystery that we can never finish talking about. Because behind all of the details, there is the big picture that it is God there in the manger. Now, John writes these words, and this is what I want to focus on. He says, the true light which, was, which enlightens everyone was coming into the world. So what does that mean? Uh, earlier, he says, in him was life, and the life was the light of men. So put another way, God is the reason for everyone's existence, the fact that we're all alive, that we move and exist and have our being. And we owe all thanks and praise to God who has done glorious things to us. So that is the reality. Now I want you to focus on the contrast. That is who is in the manger, that is who has come to the earth, this is God in the flesh. And now listen to what he says next, how the world responds. The true light which enlightens everyone was coming into the world. He was in the world, and the world was made through him, yet the world did not know him. He came to his own, and his own received him not. And this is just a supreme irony that God created all people, and then nobody recognized him or knew him. They didn't welcome him, which means they didn't want him, which means they didn't believe in him or accept him. Now, the question is, well, why not? Why why is it that God created all people, and then how come he comes to us, he, he, he presents himself before us, and then the world doesn't recognize him or know him? Why is that the case? Well, many will chalk this up to be some sort of intellectual problem. Um, it's not. It's not that there wasn't enough evidence or 
data or proof to convince these people. Uh, I've talked to so many people, uh, even nominal Christians and people who occasionally or once in a while will come to church, and they'll say something like, look, if I only had more proof of this stuff that you're talking about, if I only had more data, if I, only had, if, if I were only alive at the time and I could be there and see those very things happening, if I could see the Lord with my own eyes and, and touch him and hear him, if I could do that, then my faith would be solid like a rock. It would, it would be a bedrock, an anchor. If I had been there to see Jesus do all those miracles, I would believe and I would have no doubts whatsoever. Or if I were at that stable and I saw him and teach and preach and do things, then I would believe. And my response is, no, you wouldn't. You wouldn't believe. Um, and let me explain. Because there were thousands upon thousands of eyewitnesses of Jesus' miracles that were there in person, who saw him, who touched him, who interacted with him, and some still did not believe. Even the disciples struggled to believe. Even they were plagued by doubts. Uh, There's a very interesting detail in the Gospel of Matthew at the very end. It's something that I just gloss over all the time and I just skip through and I I don't really know what this means and I move on. Uh, I am focusing on something else. But this little detail is uh, astounding. In Matthew, we see that the disciples are there with Jesus for three years. They see his ministry. They see him uh, walk on water. They, They see him calm a raging storm with his words. They see him raise people from the dead. They see Jesus die and then come back from the dead. And then they spend 40 days with him in his resurrected body and eating with him and talking with him and seeing him do all these things. They saw this with their own eyes. The scriptures say he gave them many infallible, convincing proofs that he was alive. And then, this is the detail in Matthew 28 at the very end, as Jesus is about to ascend to heaven. It says, Now the eleven disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain to which Jesus had directed them. And when they saw him, they worshipped him. But, here it is, but some doubted. That's what it says. Three years and forty days with the Lord, and some doubted. So I'd submit to you that doubt and unbelief is not simply an intellectual problem. It is not a barrier of uh, not enough or insufficient evidence. It's not that they needed more data and evidence. That's not what's going on with these disciples, why some of them doubted. What is going on? What's going on is that there is something deep, deep in the heart of man. There is a serious, profound problem, an abyss of a problem. John says Jesus is the light of the world and the light shines in the darkness. What what is that darkness? What is it? That darkness is the unified opposition of all men to God and his Christ. Is the natural and innate hostility toward God who made us. 
It is the unjust opposition to God, humanity's profound rebellion against the Lord. Jesus was and is and always will be the central target of the world's opposition and of its hatred. It's it's simply the character of darkness to resist light. Darkness is in the world, and the reason darkness is in the world is because darkness is in you and it's in me. And that's why darkness covers the world, is because of our unbelief, because of our lack of of faith, a refusal to believe and cling to the words of the Lord. The darkness in the world is the problem of the heart of men. Um, what, what John says here is plainly said elsewhere. He says it here po- poetically. <clears throat> but the scriptures talk about it uh, concretely in other places. Romans 8 says, For the mind that is set on the flesh is hostile to God. Not neutral, not indifferent, not apathetic. Hostile to God. Against him. And an enemy of God. First uh, Corinthians 2, the natural person does not accept the things of the Spirit of God because they are foolishness to him. And he is not able to understand them because they are spiritually discerned. John 14, the world cannot receive him because it neither sees him nor knows him. There, there's something deep in us that produces an innate hostility between us and God. Even as a pastor, I don't remember this as well as I should, Um, sometimes I will invite people to church and say, you should really come. You should uh, come to this service. You should uh, go to church every Sunday and uh, hear this or listen to this Bible study, something like that. Uh, I invite people to church and say, look, come to church, hear the word, receive the forgiveness of sins, hear of the profound love of God that he has for you. And then I get so incredibly frustrated and disappointed and down when they simply don't. And they don't care. And I can, I can turn blue in the face telling them, pleading with, with tears in my eyes, and it's nothing. No, I'm not going to go there. I, I just won't do it. I could preach the best sermon that I could possibly preach with every fiber of my being. We could sing the best hymns at the top of our lungs. We'd have the organ blasting and shaking the rafters. And they simply are not moved an inch. They simply don't care. I I want you to keep this in mind because I know a number of you uh, who have talked to me and I've I've heard say these things are frustrated uh, deeply with your own... Uh, uh, family, with your own friends, with loved ones, with co-workers, things like this. You've tried, but to no avail. And no matter what you say, they simply won't come. What you are encountering there is the darkness that covers this entire world. You are, you, you are facing the hostility against the Lord for no reason. Absolutely no reason to say, just come to church and hear the love that the, that the God of heaven and earth has for you, that he laid down his life for you. Look at everything, everything he endured for you. And then they say, no, what, what, who would oppose that? And yet there is something so deep in us that we would oppose it for, for no reason. That there's some uh, innate uh, anger towards God that's unjustified. 
that's just there. Why? Why do people reject the gospel? Why do people reject the word? This is sin. This darkness of our hearts, this, it, it is a continual, uh, stubborn, persistent resistance against the God who made them. It is a sinful, and it is our sinful condition. God came to this world, and the scriptures say, and the world received him not. Uh, just keep this in mind, <clears throat> uh, that your friends and loved ones don't really need more evidence or proofs or data. It's that they have a deep spiritual problem that nothing can take away except the light of Christ, except the Holy Gospel itself, the very Word of God. Only the Holy Spirit will change their hearts. That's it. What they need is not more charts and graphs. What they need is the Word of God. They need the Gospel. I know that this isn't very cheery of a uh, Christmas Day sermon, um, but there's a reason for this. I'm highlighting how poor and miserable a condition this world was in when the Lord came to it. How dark this world is in unbelief and doubt. And when we see the truth about this world, we see how angry and hostile and opposed the world is to God, even our own hearts. Then and only then can we see the deep and profound love that God has for us. I want you to consider what is not in the text, what is implicit. John writes, he was in the world, the world was made through him, yet the world did not know him. He came to his own and his own people did not receive him. Did you, did you catch it? Did you see what is implicit there? He came to this earth was met with no thanks, no love or good. He was rejected, he was despised, he was met with hostility and contempt. And yet, he stayed. He remained. He didn't go back to heaven in disgust. He didn't come here and see, man, this world is awful. It's so poor, it's so miserable. They don't even know me, I'm leaving. He didn't do that. And he had every right to. He didn't go back to heaven in disgust again or give up on us. He came to this earth. He endured the hostility and chose to stay even to this day. And that is because Christ came into this world, not because we wanted him, but because he wanted us. That's why he came. From eternity before the foundation of the world, before heaven and earth were made, the thought of Christ being born into a manger moved the heart of God so much that he ordered all history in this entire world around that event, around the event of Christ taking on flesh and dying for us. It was, I, I want to be very clear, it was love, love alone that brought the Lord to us and not our love for him, but his love for us. It was not our willingness, not our decision, not our works that brought him, but it was him alone. He was moved to have compassion and pity upon us. Uh, we sing this in this beautiful, beautiful Advent hymn by Paul Gerhardt. This is the second hymn I'm quoting already uh, by Paul Gerhardt. Um, it's the, the Advent hymn, O Lord, How Shall I Meet You? And this is, if I remember correctly, verse 4, he, he writes this. Um, Love caused your incarnation... Love brought you down to me. 
Your thirst for my salvation procured my liberty. O love beyond all telling that led you to embrace, in love all love excelling, our lost and fallen race. Not only was Christ born in a world that didn't love him, but he grew and lived and suffered and died in a world that didn't love him. Uh, Romans chapter 5 says, God proves his love for us in this, that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. After this, John then says, he came to his own, his own received him not, and then he says, but to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the power to become children of God, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. And this is incredibly profound. If we're born in spiritual darkness and we by nature have a deep and serious problem in rejecting God, then anyone who does not reject him, anyone who believes in him and trusts him, must have had something deep and serious change in them, which means it was the Holy Spirit who moved and changed their hearts from that hostility to deep love for him. And it has. If you believe in him, it's not because you decided to. It's not because your flesh wanted to. It's not because your heart all of a sudden one morning just stopped being angry at God by its own decision. It's because God had mercy upon you and visited you even in your anger and hostility. And he found you and he gave you faith and he begot you. He opened your eyes to the true light to see your true father and that you are his dear child. That light is the light of the gospel, the light that Christ gave his life for you and forgave your sins and by his love for you caused your love for him. We've come here this day once again because the light of the gospel shines upon us and we come in thankfulness and love uh, in this Christmas day. Even if the rest of the world will not have the Lord, we will. Even if no one else will sing praises to him this day, we will. I want you to hear the words of this hymn. Ah, dearest Jesus, holy child, prepare a bed soft and undefiled, a quiet chamber set apart for you to dwell within my heart. My heart for very joy must leap. My lips no more can silence keep. I too must sing with joyful tongue that sweetest, uh, sweetest ancient cradle song. Glory to God in highest heaven, who unto us his Son has given, while angels sing with pious mirth a glad new year to all the earth. Merry Christmas to all of you here at Zion. May God bless you in this Christmas season. Uh, that that uh, the, the very incarnation of the Lord would bring you joy and would enlighten your life even in the darkness. Amen. The peace of God which surpasses all understanding, guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus our Lord. Amen.